This podcast has been made possible through funding from Fans for Diversity. Hi, welcome to the Football vs Homophobia podcast. This week we've got a special episode for Lesbian Visibility Week. Because neither Beatrice or I identify as lesbians, you won't hear much of our voices. You're just going to hear some conversations between four brilliant women who are part of the core Football vs Homophobia team. Uh, we've got people from different generations, so hopefully we're going to look at a bit of an intergenerational perspective um, on women's football and lesbians within football. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, I'm Siri Tobing. I'm the Participation and Engagement Manager at Leap Sports Scotland and I lead on Football versus Homophobia Scotland. Hi, I'm Lou Englefield. I'm the Campaign Director for Football versus Homophobia internationally. Hi, I'm Annette Nelson and I'm the Education Lead for Football versus Homophobia. Hi, I'm Holly Grimes and I'm an Events Officer for the Football versus Homophobia Youth Panel. Fantastic. So the first question is, did you play football or any type of sport at school, at like school age or in school? And what was it like for you? Well, I... was... <laughs> do you want to go first then, Annette? Yeah, I'll go first. Um, I didn't play football because it, we weren't allowed to play football in school. Um and the only sport, well, the sport that I, sports I played were badminton and rounders and occasionally netball really, really badly. And in terms of what it was like, it was a bit horrendous, really. Um, one, because I didn't really fit into the mould of what sports people should look like and should play like. And... Two, because it was very, very, you know, um, segregated. So it wasn't a good experience. And the only thing that salvaged it slightly for me was that I really got into badminton and had a brilliant badminton coach who was a woman who was also a lesbian. Um, And uh, it, it felt all right being part of that. I've, my my experience of playing football, because I'm knocking on a bit, was that um, we weren't allowed to play football at school. So at primary school, um, me and my sister kicked up a bit of a fuss about um, um, about not being able to play football. And um, and I can remember I had this um, uh, this there was this like weird competition. Well, that was like an athletics competition, but it wasn't like straightforward track and field. It was kind of like you had to choose two disciplines to do. And um, so I cho- chose like a um, speed walking event. And um, and then like there was this football event and it was basically dribbling the ball in and out of cones and sort of like, you know, so many times, whatever. And that was those were the two challenges. And because it was like, um, because it was football, I was like, oh, great, you know, this is my opportunity. Um, This is my opportunity to to do football. Do you know what I mean? Because we've been banned from doing it. And um, so so anyway, so I was actually allowed to do this kind of like, um, you know, to do this slalom, you know, this dribbling kind of competition thing. And of course, I got absolutely, you know, trashed by everybody else because it was me playing against a load of lads who'd like, you know, I we were 
10 at the time, you know, they'd been playing football for years. And, you know, it was really, really unheard of for girls to play football. And so my first experience of any kind of competitive football was like super, super negative. Um, because I just got completely humiliated. And the 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 um, deputy head of our school, who was the the um, uh, was the football coach, was football coach, was kind of like, well, there you go, girls can't play football. What did you expect? And that was his kind of response. And then I went to um, then I went to secondary school, and like you said, Annette, you know, like it was really really gender segregated. You know, um, I played loads of hockey and stuff, but. Um, really bizarrely, um, our PE teacher for like a year or maybe two years at high school um, was a woman called Sue Lopez, who basically uh, played for England during the 70s, um, managed Wales, the Wales national team as well, during the probably maybe the 80s. And um, was really involved with Southampton Football Club and developing the, the women and girls set up there. Um, so Sue Lopez is now a complete football legend, but she happened to be my my PE teacher. So, um, and she got my sister, who was really keen on football, um, involved in like a local football club called Tadburn Ladies. And um, so my sister went along there, but kind of by that time I'd got really sucked into hockey and so um <clears throat> interestingly I think um I had quite similar experiences in my at primary school tough one because um so I grew up in Northern Ireland and um I had always played football I had a cousin who was so I had no other choice and um, going into primary school, I remember it was primary three and primary three was the year that you got to play fit in the football team and you got to start going to training and things. And I was so excited going in the first day and the <clears throat> the headmaster came in and said, OK, any boys interested in playing the football team? And, you know, I, I was like, oh, I put my hand up and he didn't he didn't give me the same letter that he was given to anyone else. He just pretended not to see me at all. Um, and so I got another boy at my table to put up his hand and took his letter home. And uh, I showed it to my mum and I was quite upset at the time. And um, she just went straight to the telephone and said, uh, phone said, um, I think you've made a typo on your letter. Um, it says here, any boys interested in playing the football team? Well, my daughter is a girl and she's very much interested in playing football. <laughs> so she managed to get me a meeting with the principal where I had to go and prove to him that I was serious about playing football. So this is me at seven years old standing in the principal's office saying, and him going like, well, you know, you're not allowed to be a cheerleader at the side, distracting all the boys from playing football and this sort of stuff. And this was a man whose sister played in the Northern Irish women's national team that still couldn't appreciate that girls could play football um, alongside no Yeah, yeah. So, so there's a real, like, gender disparity from a very young age. And I think, to be honest, that's probably 
um, put me on track to work in this field is having experienced that from so young and um, and also seeing the difference that my mum could make um, as well by just standing up to a, an outdated policy. Um, but yeah, and then I went into to play. I, I chose my high school based on the fact that they had a really good football team there. Um, it was an all-girls school, so um, went to play there and... You know, it was it was a good setup and so on. Um, you were definitely encouraged to play hockey and netball more than you were football. Um, so there's gender stereotypes happening. Um, I didn't have any real issues with homophobia or anything at that time, but I, I do remember having my football jacket on the bus on the way home from school, and there was lots of other schools on the bus and. That is the first time I've ever been called a dyke um, was because I had my football jacket on. So um, there was definitely a point in time where football stopped being something that tomboys played and started being something um, that butch lesbians played. Um, and I learned that the, the hard way, I guess. Yeah, I can relate to a lot of that, to be fair. Um, I think... Again, primary school, I think, I don't know what it is with primary schools. I think it's potentially, it's something that, that's improving now, but maybe it's the lack of sort of specialist PE teachers that means that it is very sex segregated in terms of sport. Like there was no um, girls football team. I don't think any girls, I think there was a girl who was a very, very good player and she got to play on the boys team, but it was almost like an exception rather than that she was allowed to. Um, so yeah, in the playground and stuff, would just join in with the boys and then, we definitely relate to that sort of transition between it being being a tomboy and then almost when you get to secondary school, it becomes uncool and it becomes something that you don't want to associate yourself with as much. Um, but then my high school was really good in that sense because they it was a sports college, so they were really keen on, on getting girls involved in sport. Um, we had a really decent girls team. And at that point as well, it was when they started sort of getting involvement from from like Manchester City in the community. They used to come in and deliver sessions and, and would be sort of pushed towards their team and that sort of thing. So I think it was definitely a, a good experience um, in secondary school, but primary school was, was very much sort of... It's it's the way the boys see it as well. It's not just... You don't really care too much what the teachers are saying, but it's, it's more when you've got boys saying that, you know, girls shouldn't play football and, and that sort of thing. That's what puts you off a little bit, I think. I just remember once someone literally messaging me being like, um, oh, someone told me that, that you're gay. And I was like, at this point, I had no idea that I was. And then it was almost like, why? And she was like, because you play football. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think I've always had quite positive experiences, but it is interesting looking back in primary school, the lack of provision that was there. And that sort of sets you up straight away to think, is, is there a place for me in this sport, I think. You know, it's really funny, though, isn't it, listening to you, Holly, and, and that person going, oh, yeah, you know, I heard you're gay because you play football. Because we, we did some research quite a few years ago now, but with some young gay men. And this one young man said to, said to me, you know, that school sport was absolutely horrific for him. Because although he was really sporty, he hated football. And he said, you know, in the kind of like culture, school culture... If you didn't like football, you had to be gay, whether you were gay or not. If you were a lad and you didn't like football, then you're 100% you were gay. And it's like, it's, and I mean, that was probably about, you know, 
maybe 10 years ago, nine or 10 years ago now. But, you know, that still feels kind of quite recent for me. Do you know what I mean? That, that, that you think, that, that young people think that you can determine someone's sexuality by the sport they play. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that's really sort of, it's, it's an interesting one because I think in in sort of secondary school, even up to sixth form, um, I think the people that I associated myself with and it, it was a very sort of heteronormative environment um, and then it was a really interesting sort of switch when I went to university and was then surrounded by people where it was almost the opposite and it was almost like to be a sort of validated and popular member of the women's football club you almost then had to be gay so I think it, it's a really interesting sort of switch where it's like it goes from being very sort of un um, kind of appealing to the wider sort of eye that you're in and the environment you're in to be in the opposite in a sense and it, and it almost becomes a bit of a rite of passage to, to be a member of this club so it's um, I could probably talk about that, that all day but it's um, it's interesting how sort of the environment you're in really affects that Yeah and I think it's interesting as well in the perspective of going because I had the exact same experience as you like going from this like being gay being such a negative thing associated with football to like to that and that effect that has on your coming out process as well is that you know you don't want to validate all these people who are saying oh you're you're a dyke because you play football and all of these kind of things about you and you don't want to put that stereotype onto the game because you're taught that it's the bad thing and it's really negative. So it's a tough one because I think so many people think it's easy for lesbians in football, but there's a lot of different narratives going on in your head that you've got to deal with as well. I think when, when I mean, this is a long time ago now, so obviously a bit of an intergenerational perspective here, but when I was about, when I went back to football, and like I said, I was about 27 my kind of like the club that I played part of was, um, you know, we had two teams. I was in the second team, of course. And, um, but there was just this really interesting dynamic in the club, I think, where it just always felt like the, the, like the heterosexual women were more valuable, was, was seen as had more cultural capital um, in the team than the lesbians because everyone was kind of almost expected to be a lesbian then women who weren't lesbians were kind of slightly revered by everybody because they were like oh wow you play football and you're not a lesbian so there was this kind of um you know I I, I guess our club was divided about 50 50 um at the time and um yeah it was just this kind of like slightly weird dynamic in the in the early 90s I suppose to, to mid 90s of um you know you know anybody you know just people being valued because they weren't kind of confirming that stereotype I suppose yeah no it is really interesting um, a friend of mine did a dissertation on essentially whether um the environment being in that environment sort of impacts upon people's sexuality and how they discuss it and she actually found that um, the people who seem to be the most sort of alienated from the club were the bisexual people. And it was almost like, well, you're not gay enough to be part of us, but you're also not straight. It was all, it was a weird one, like the way she, her research sort of panned out. Um, I think for me, though, like, um, 
because obviously I discussed about how I was in a very heteronormative environment in secondary school and sixth form and and it, and it, I think I myself had that stereotype in my head about women's football and, and didn't think that I fit into that category, but then also didn't quite feel at home sort of defining myself as straight either. And it was a very sort of um, phase where I was just sort of focusing on my, my academics and I was like, I'm just not thinking about it. And then it was only really when I got to uni- university and then was in that environment that it really like helped me come to terms with it. And it was just so normalised and I think it was a really positive thing for me. Um, to be in that environment and um, almost to not feel like a minority anymore. It's, it's a really strange sort of microcosm of society that just, but it's not a microcosm of society, if you know what I mean. It's like the opposite in a sense, because that, that didn't make any sense. <laughs> um, but it's almost like a bubble within within a bubble of university where it's everything's just so different to, to the rest of society. And I think for a lot of people, I know that, um, who I knew, they went to university sort of very happy in their mind that they were straight and then came out of it and had had relationships with women or had sort of just experimented or anything like that. But it, it's almost just like a bit of a, a turning point for a lot of people, I think, being in that in that environment. I think it's just being away from home as well and being away from potentially a sort of small town mentality and, and that sort of thing. Um, but no, definitely that transition from it being sort of a bad thing and you know the butch lesbian stereotype to them being at university and it's being the norm as such amazing should we jump on to the next question um so um hopefully a nice transition into thinking about um were there any women in football who were out lesbians or who were role models for you when you were younger and do you think there are more now um than when you were younger perhaps thinking about how that's the number of role models and um, an out lesbian women has changed. Um, yeah, go on, Nelly. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I, I, I think this is a generational thing as well. I think for me, the answer to that was not many, if any. And that was also to do with being black, you know. And in, in the... Um, my experience of football was uh, quite, you know, as a black young person and then as a black adult, seeing men play football was actually quite, you know, was, I loved football, but I also lived through that era where black players got bananas thrown at them on the pitch. And in terms of black women players, well, I just didn't see them. I'm sure there were some, but they certainly weren't in, you know, they never made the media, they weren't held up as role models. Um, and it wasn't really until I don't, I think like the 1990s and the, you know, into the uh, you know, 2000 and whatever, that I actually began to see black women players uh, playing at a high level. And, you know, there are a few now that I just think, wow, it's brilliant that you've made it. But I would also say that there's there's so few of them still at that elite level. So for me, I I guess it was a a bit of a bizarre experience in terms of role models. Uh, I don't know similarly to Mary. I don't think that there was really any role models like high profile ones 
I think Casey Stoney is probably someone that was quite inspirational in terms of coming out and just being visible and taking that step. Um, but that was, I think, 2014 or something. So, you know, I was already come, come to terms with my sexuality by then. Um, so I can't really say, probably the closest thing to a role model in sport was Dana off the L word. <laughs> Whenever I was about 20. Um, but, um, you know, there was, there was people in the team, in the teams that I played for, who were always quite masculine presenting. Um, but no one was ever really out whenever I played in, in Northern Ireland. Um, and yeah, I always just thought, honestly, before going to university, I just thought lesbians had to have short hair, for example. That was the kind of place where my mind was at that point. Um, and yeah, like Holly mentioned earlier, I came to university with a boyfriend of two years. <laughs> so um, it was a, a big transition process for me, but um, so I wasn't really looking out for role models per se, I don't think, but uh, yeah, I think Casey Stoney is a, a good example of someone um, who inspired, if not my generation, the generation after. I think that's one of the things as well, is that um, <clears throat> that kind of like, I find really, really frustrating when people talk about the women's game and kind of like lesbians being out in the women's game and, oh, you know, it's so much easier in the women's game. You know, why is the women's game so, so much so accepting? And it's people have forgotten that actually the women's game hasn't always been like this. You know, it hasn't always been like the US national women's team going around demanding equal pay and Megan Rapinoe talking about human rights and taking the knee. You know, it's like we've had to get to this place, you, you know. And, and I think I'm really glad, Siri, that you like mentioned Casey Stoney because her coming out was such a big deal. You know, I was running football versus homophobia at the time. And it was like such a massive, massive deal. And I remember the story breaking and we got loads of interviews and, and people were really interested in it. And one of the things that, you know, and, and basically when she came out, Casey said, you know, I've been like, um, I've been worried for 10 years. I've been like, wanting to come out for 10 years, but I haven't done it because, one, I don't want to confirm stereotypes, and we all know what she was talking about there. And secondly, I would I was really frightened about the kind of criticism I would get, like, especially on social media. And I think, now I think, God bless her. You know, at least she came out seven years ago before the mess that is social media now, you know. But I think that... Um, you know, I I think um, you know Casey's a really a really good example of somebody who has been a real role model um, for people. And there are women, you know, in the game now who are there and who are out. And you know, Magda Eriksson and you know some um, you know some amazing kind of queer ambassadors in the game. But it just it wasn't like that, and it you know it certainly wasn't like that when you know when I was younger um and even you, you know when you know it, I think probably 
just trying to think, but I'm thinking probably when I first started kind of like working in this space in like 2006, you know, everyone was still talking about Justin Fashionu as the kind of first and only out gay footballer, um, male professional footballer. But like nobody was talking about women who'd come out and, you know, who were the... Who were the great women who who were out, you know, who were out at the time? And I think, you know, um, rumours circulated, for example, about Hope Powell, who was manager of the England women's team. But I don't think she was publicly out at that time, you know? Yeah, I think we've seen quite a lot of players who are coming out after their careers. Am I right in thinking Kelly Smith um, did that? Yeah, um, she um, but I know even for, for my generation, one of my best friends has always said that Casey Stoney and her um, married on her partner who had kids and that made her kids as a as a lesbian. Um, so I think there are they are out there, but like you say, they weren't always there, and it takes that sort of first step in a sense. Because um, I think for me, when I was growing up, I always just my role models were more, were more the Man United men's players. Um, because I think that I think another issue with there was that the profile of women's football was so much lower as well. Um, so I never went to watch the you know the top women's league. Or I think I went to a couple of England games, but it wasn't really televised. It, it didn't have anywhere near the coverage it has now. So I think for potentially sort of young young people and that um, watching women's football, there are women's role models, but even so, growing up. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think I was saying uh, a lot of my role models growing up were more. Um, and I think that's because the, the women's game wasn't as visible as it was now and didn't have the profile that it has now. Um, so I really only had those sort of England players who I was even aware of. And um, it was only probably when the Women's Super League started that I started going to sort of domestic women's games and, and getting that knowledge of the players. And and I think for sort of generations younger than me, hopefully they will have those sort of visible role models. But they didn't exist even sort of five, ten years ago, I don't think. It's a very, a very recent sort of thing. So, yeah, I think that's what I was saying. <laughs> I, I just want to say something because I think there's also an issue around, you know, what a role model is. Because if I think about a role model, it's somebody I look up to and aspire to be like. And for me, there's a huge issue in terms of, uh, black being out players, you know, there are, I know there are a couple, but I, I do wonder whether that impact of those role models um, on how black young women and girls progress through the game and how they feel that it is for them and how it is, you know, how they're included in, in it. Um, actually has any, you know, impact on on why there are so few black women and particularly blackout women in, in, in football. I don't, I don't know the stats on all of that, but I'm guessing just looking at, say, the national team and the players that I know, that, you know, there's a real kind of disproportionate representation of, of, of those women. No, I think you're really right. I think, um, you know, the, the women's game at the moment, certainly in England, feels quite white, um, you know, and um, 
we you know i think that's and that's not just football i i also think like look at kind of situation and i think about you know the players that you know the players that you know you know 10 years ago who were um you know right on the right at the forefront of driving the women's game forward like rachel yankee leanne sanderson um anita asante i know anita's still playing um, but, you know, those women were, you know, really, really driving, driving the women's game forward in England. And and now, you know, and now where where are where are these black players in the women's in the women's squad? You know, I, I you know, I don't know a lot about the, the England women's setup, but I certainly don't see a lot of black players, you know, when I've when I've seen them when I've seen them play. So. You know, I think it's that's a really, um, a really big question. You know, as the game is professionalising in this country, what's happening to, um, you know, what's happening to representation across a range of communities? I guess you know, I don't, you know, I, I yeah, I think the issue for me is also is about being black and out, you know, because. Uh, it, it is that whole thing about how safe is it for for black women in football in terms of their communities, etc. Um, you know, is it safer to be out afterwards after your career's over? I don't know, and I, you know, as I say, I don't know what the data is around that and proportionally whether that is an issue or not. I don't know either, but but I think one you know just um, I heard Leanne Sanderson speak at the um, Fair versus Homophobia conference in February, and one of the things that she was saying was that you know she was really reticent to be to be out initially because she didn't want to be remembered as that lesbian footballer, and then she said that you know that when she came out, you know. The impact she saw her, um, she saw that have on young people and young women in particular, just made her think. Well, this is this is more important. So you know, if I am labelled that, then then so be it. Because actually, the difference that I'm making in being visible and outspoken on authentically me is is massively massively important. Okay, the next question um, kind of links into what we've been talking about already, so you might feel like you've, we don't need to talk about this question, but it was going to be, how have attitudes, or attitudes and perceptions of the women's game changed throughout your lifetime, and how do those attitudes compare to the men's game? Of course, it's good that we you know, normalise lesbians in sport and wider society, but I think... Like those lack of conversations that we're having around sexuality in women's team sport is actually one of our biggest threats. You know, I think we're 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 not learning from the experiences of others. We're not having these intergenerational conversations. We're not um, learning how to equip ourselves against discrimination or validate microaggressions that. We might not think are homophobic at that time, but until you have these sorts of conversations, then you start to realise, oh, well, actually, th those feelings that I had were valid. 
Um, I think another important thing, actually, about this whole, you know, not needing to state to your sexuality in women's team sport is that it's a complete erasure of bi women. So what we're getting is um, waiting for someone to drop a pronoun of their other half, assuming they're either lesbian or straight, and then going with that and calling ourselves inclusive for not being able to have those conversations in the first place. So I do think there's there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And I think talking about role models that we have been, you know, there's there's a huge amount of responsibility still, I think, for role models. And of course, everyone should come out in their own time. And of course, they should come out in their own way. But I think this whole reasoning behind not coming out being oh, it's just normal to be a lesbian in sport. Um, I think that's not a valid reason, in a way. I think it's... I, I agree with you that I think it's really important to talk about stuff because I come from an era in which, in women's sport, there was very much a kind of don't ask, don't tell um, kind of culture. And I can remember... Um, you know, unlike your experience, I went to uni and um, and I was kind of like, um, you know, knew that I was on the verge of kind of coming out. Really, like I've been really struggling with it, with my, uh, with it, with myself um, around it for a couple of years. And then I went to uni, and you know, it was uni, and I played hockey. So I was like, oh right, okay, I'm going to go along and I'm going to play hockey. And um, and I kind of like went along to the hockey team and um, and we went away on our first trip. And, you know, I don't know how many of the team were lesbians, but, a, 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 you know, a number of them were lesbians. And, um, and I just found the whole kind of atmosphere really, really oppressive because... Um, because they all knew that they were lesbians, obviously, but because it wasn't really acceptable to be a lesbian at the time, um, then everything was sort of like slightly coded. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, the women who were girlfriends were sitting on the back seat under coats and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And it was all kind of like, all like really giggly. And then that felt incredibly cliquey. So, that ended up just like really, really putting me off hockey at university. And then basically then I was kind of lost to sport after that for about, well, you know, for about five or six years really. And then I went back and, and I started playing football and just the atmosphere on my, on my team was, you know, was just so much better. But, you know, I grew up in, um, you know, I just, yeah, just grew up in this environment where nobody talked about any of this stuff. And it was so oppressive, you know. And, um, you know, I would hate to think that young people would be kind of growing up in those kind of, um, you know, those kinds of sports environments now, you know. And certainly I was a football coach and I coached girls football for oh, I don't know, about 10 years or something. And, um, you know, and I had a whole load of, you know, a whole load of different girls who played on the teams that I coached. And probably out of that, I might there might have been three lesbians out of like, I don't know, 30, 30 girls that I coached over the years. 
over the teams, maybe a bit, uh, maybe a few more. But um, you know, I think that um, you, you know that I wouldn't have wanted those the environments in which which the girls on my team played football to be places where they couldn't feel like they could be themselves or talk about their relationships or talk about anything as certainly as they got older anyway I you know coached them from sort of under under eights to start with but you know as they kind of like progressed and got older you know I would always want those environments because I just think you know the oh we don't need to talk about these things we're so open is kind of you know as you say Siri is quite often a, a disguise for for you know um for something else really i think what those experiences make me realize is sometimes i think my generation take it for granted a little bit that we are so able to just be so open and, and so free about it especially in those sort of university environments um it was almost like i think in, in a sense though it could still sometimes have that cliquey atmosphere and that negative side to it where i think i remember turning up to the very first sort of sports night social and they just go around and ask everyone if they're gay and it's almost like and, and again it's that bi erasure of and you you know are you a lesbian and and it's also just oh, sort of like there are still people who struggle with it and I think like I, I even at that point I still didn't think I was so I was sort of just like well no and then I think if anything it sort of regresses people's progress a little bit in terms of coming to terms with it because you feel like you're being forced to come out a little bit um so I think I think it varies a lot by club, but I still think that culture is is quite present in some ways. Um, but I think yeah, I think it's definitely something we take for granted now. Now is just that we are able to just I think people sort of um, celebrate it more than anything, and it is you know not sort of forgetting the the women who've come before who sort of paved the way to allow us to do that. I think sometimes we do take that for granted a little bit. I think the issue for me also is that, and, and I totally go with what Siri said, is that sometimes that, you know, not talking about those issues, actually you're just negating so much of the individual. And I think also in terms of, I don't like to use this word because it's used so much at the moment, but, you know, in terms of intersectionality, I, I think, you know, we need to talk about who we are and, and and what makes us different and what actually, you know, what similarities we share and what the issues are for us as those individuals in terms of our culture and our background. And I think it's like, oh, you know, we're all in this together, we're all the same. Just sometimes just prevents us focusing on what the real issues are for individuals in sport. And actually, it can potentially exclude so many people. And, you know, I think Holly said it as well, you know, if we're not careful, you will get into another form of cliqueiness, you know, or we're in the lesbian club, so, you know, we don't need to talk about it. But that's not all I am, you know. So I think there are real issues there that the women's game really needs to look at. Yeah, and um, I don't... recognise as well that I have been sounding quite negative I do think that we have come uh, leaps and bounds um, over the years but I I also you know I don't want us to get um, comfortable with where we are now because where we are now is not ideal and 
you know, I'm speaking from a place where um, you're not you not see me because I'm on a podcast, but I'm uh, femme presenting and I've got a ponytail and, um, you know, my biggest issue has been you know, taxi drivers telling me I can't play rugby or I can't play football because I've got a ponytail and I'm too slim and I'm too feminine looking. But on the flip side of that, I know quite masculine presenting lesbians who have a much harder time so I don't think we're at this point yet where everything is ideal um but I do think that that we have come a long way I mean certainly you, you know obviously um I spend a large time a large part of my time talking um to people about homophobia and um, LGBTIQ plus inclusion. And I can absolutely tell you it's not a done deal from some of the things that I encounter through my work, you know. And, um, you know, I've been told in the last few years that, you know, lesbians are grooming young girls to become lesbians through football. Um, that, you know, um, um, you know, there's been... Um, uh, you know, research piece after research piece that talks about, um, you know, uh, queer women in the workforce, in the sport and physical activity workforce, not feeling um, safe to and comfortable to talk about their sexual orientation. You know, there was a, um, a, a piece done by um, um, an organisation down in Hampshire called Energise Me, um, you know, only kind of like only two years ago. And that's one of the things that they found was that, you know, was that women who identified as lesbians were not, um, you know, were were uh, reticent to to be out about who they were, um, you know, about, about who they were. And certainly I think it was like, I um, can't remember whether it was maybe... 2015 2016 we did a survey of football coaches and i think from memory um uh, um of the coaches that we surveyed the um gay male coaches through at all levels of the game were more likely to be out about their sexual orientation than the women were and i remember a quote from one woman who said, you know, it's hard enough coaching in the professional game as a woman. Oh, in the men's game. She worked in the men's game. She said, you know, it's it's hard enough sort of coaching in the professional men's game as a woman without then facing the double discrimination of homophobia on top of that. So, you know, why would I put myself in that position? So, I, you know, um, I don't think, you know, you know, obviously she was talking about the men's game there, but I certainly don't think that, you know, lesbians have got this lovely, joyful little space and never experience any discrimination or stereotyping. Um, you know, I think that some of those issues still exist and those are still some things that that I hear in the work that I do. Yeah, I think just on that... Um... I think for me, it very much depends on the environment, how comfortable I feel, and it, there's a massive difference sometimes. So in any football team I've played for, I've always been sort of very open, um, obviously within my friends, because I do have, I'm really lucky to have a, a sort of really supportive friendship group. And 
Um, but then I started a new job in December working um, in sport and, and it's it's almost like shook me a little bit because I realised how uncomfortable I felt telling people at work and I think it's that boundary sometimes between work and your personal life where you think, well, actually, this could actually affect me because, you know, if you're telling an employer and then they have a lot of sort of influence and power over you. So I think that's something that I'm trying to sort of... I think I've dropped enough hints potentially, but it, I still found it really hard to sort of come out and, and say it. And it, it's it's quite alien to me because I think since I came to terms with it myself, I've always been quite open about it. Um, but I think it's interesting that it sort of correlates with that research that in the workplace, I think there's a, an added barrier there to, to coming out. Yeah, well, I think there is hollow. I think there's like a very fine art of coming out subtly as well, which is an infuriating thing. Um, like I've always found it so much easier to come out whenever I've got a partner because you can just slip that into conversation all the time um, and and yeah even even if you think about the the kind of role, lesbian role models in football at the moment or at least the ones in the same sex relationship and like the Women's World Cup in 2019 was such a powerful tournament for lesbian kisses or I shouldn't say lesbian kisses is a powerful tournament for same-sex kisses between two women and you know you have like Pernille Hardem, Magda Eriksson, you have Kelly O'Hara kissing her girlfriend and nobody knew that you know um, she was in a same-sex relationship before then, Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird and all of a sudden you had like these examples of romantic love in sport between women where we'd never had that before you know whenever you think about those kind of things like romantic things happening in sport it's always you know after the Super Bowl and a player runs over to his wife and kids and has a little photo shoot with them or something so it was kind of like a normalizing thing without making a big song and dance about it and I I almost like I just wonder why we owe society not making a big song and dance about it, in a way. I mean, if we move on to the next question then, hopefully this will kind of pick up a few of the, the points that um, certainly Annette and Siri have made and, and other things as well. So closing up and, and finishing off, what do you what do you want to see in the future um, for lesbians in football? What's important to you? What what needs to happen to um, you know continue to support and um, and and help um, you know lesbian women feel comfortable in football? I think I think for me, I think one of the things is that we need to. I think I think we're at this kind of like place, and and maybe I'm wrong, and it's just that I'm really you you know that I'm older and and I need to get over myself slightly but um and and also because I do loads of education work but I think we're in this place at the moment where we're kind of like oh isn't the isn't the women's game lovely it's so open and everyone can be themselves and it's all really really great with kind of out acknowledging how we've got here um but you, you know it I just think about Holly as saying the thing about, you know, who's the youngest person here 
saying, you know, saying that, that somebody said to her, I heard you were gay, why? Because you played football. And it's like, don't you think that still in, in 2021, it's absolutely incredible that we think we can characterise someone's sexuality by the sport that they play. And I feel that that's got so much more to do with gender than anything else, really. And, you know, again, going back to... Um, going back to... Uh, and it, uh, I think probably it was the Fair versus Homophobia Conference. You know, somebody in the audience on one of the panels said something about, you know... When we're talking about um, when we're talking about football, you know, is it good enough to make these tweaks to to the to, to football to you, you know to accommodate women and accommodate sort of the women's game? Because basically, football was originally set up for men, and shouldn't we be? examining the blueprint of football like really getting under the foundations of it and really really mixing it up and 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 kind of to disrupt it to disrupt it more and I do I do think that about kind of like queer women in the game I do think there are people less so now definitely less so now but you know if if we said there are there are a lot of lesbians in football and people would people said you know if you say that to people people there's all a bit of a kind of like oh you know well why are there so many lesbians in football and i can guarantee that there are lesbians who still do not come out in the game because they don't want women's football to be labeled as as a game for lesbians but nobody actually acknowledges the thing that holly said i think it was holly who said it anyway earlier on which is that um, it was, in fact, it definitely was Holly. Talked about that transition to high school, and you go to high school, and you're wanting to be cool, and you're wanting to fit in. And for teenage girls who are heterosexual, that does not really involve running around a pitch, booting a ball around. You know, that's not always a really, really good look for young men who. You know, heterosexuality is so prescriptive at that age, you know, that it's really, really tied up in our in our kind of gender norms. So say there were more lesbians in um, in the women's game, then I fundamentally believe that's because, you know, young women who are starting to pubesce, who are less worried about what boys say, are more likely to progress in the game. And it's that's a really really straightforward thing, you know. But if you're if you're less worried about fitting in and less worried about being very femme presenting and reflecting boys back and 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 being you know being successfully heterosexual as a kind of like 14 15 year old you're going to be less worrying about sweating and you know getting covered in mud and developing muscles and looking athletic and all of those other kinds of things and yet those things just you know nobody's talking about those things and I think they're really really important things for us to discuss really and and to unpick really you know I think for me um it's about what what you know Lou said at the end it's about the the dialogue the discussion what I'd like to see is that that dialogue is expanded, you know, rather than focused in on is she, isn't she? Um, 
because I think and until that dialogue continues to be expanded and that people do start to unpick you know what's going on in women's football then we're always going to be in this place of oh it's it's all right to be a lesbian in women's football and it's far more acceptable, you know, uh, and it's far better. It's the men's game that's got the problem, which I just think is a load of rubbish, to be honest, in terms of, you know, taking that focus off the women's game and, and what needs to happen to progress it and to make it really inclusive. I think that's a really interesting point you made about the sort of... Um dropout rate and I think that's something that's not spoken about enough and I think if you maybe look at the ages at which females tend to drop out it does sort of correlate with that transition into secondary school and then potentially that transition into sort of sixth form as well um so yeah I think that's definitely something to think about in terms of football does have that image I think still of, of that it is a sort of butch sport and I think it's something that potentially is changing because I think it's just becoming a little bit more... So, like, when I worked at a school, it, it was almost like it didn't matter anymore and there was, you know, older girls wanting to play football and that's something that I definitely didn't experience when I was at school. It was a very sort of select group um, who sort of, like you say, weren't too bothered about what the, the boys thought of them. Um, but I think, in terms of the future, I think, I think the visibility is key, but I think it's also important, like we've said, about not sort of just having those role models there because, you know, in, in a sort of tokenistic way, I think it's important that we don't just have them there and then they're just lesbians who play football. I think it's important to, to appreciate them as athletes and as footballers first and foremost. Um, so I think I, I think education is key, obviously. Um, and I think that's something, again, that schools seem to be doing a better job of than when I was there in terms of... Um, sort of relationship education and sex education. I think it all sort of links into sport. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's definitely sort of from when some of you guys were younger compared to sort of my experiences. I'm quite fortunate, really, that I did come out in an environment where I've never really faced any discrimination. Um, so I think in that sense, it seems like it is, it is getting better, but I think there's still a long way to go in, in many aspects. I think everyone's given such amazing answers so far that I don't really, I don't really know how to follow up. I'm going to try and just go from a totally different angle and see where it takes me. But so I'm over here in Sweden at the minute, and the attitude to football here is so totally different to what it is in the UK for for girls and women. Um, my partner, who is from Sweden, was had a complete culture shock when she came over to uni and heard all of this, like, oh, lesbians in football? What are you talking about? Like, what's that got to do with? Um, because every girl plays football here. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it's just something that's not thought about. Like, there's no... There's no stereotypes of who plays what sport. Um, and I think, you know, we really need to start assessing why why we still have this, why, why these generations were still getting kids saying that girls don't play football, girls don't play sport. 
And I don't know if it's just that our society doesn't appreciate athletic women and that there's still this kind of gender norm that has been passed from generation to generation, whereas countries like Sweden, you know, they're used to, like, sport and physical activity is so ingrained in the culture here that maybe that's why it's not a thing. I just... There's, it's, if someone could just do a research study, like studying Scandinavia and studying the UK and just figure it out for me, I would really appreciate that. Um, but it, it definitely draws some comparisons, I think. And yeah, I think there's there's something really sexist and misogynistic that's going on here still. Um, and that's the reason why we can't progress any further. I, I really agree and I think you know I, I think and I don't know what it's like in Sweden but I've just been doing quite a lot of work recently around um, the, um, around sort of thinking about non-binary people and access to changing facilities and stuff and as part of that so bear with me as part of that I've been thinking a lot about um, about changing rooms and the way that gender is policed in changing rooms. And I think, you know, one of the things that we we have to acknowledge, you know, we, we're talking loads about sort of women's sport being this really safe space and stuff. But I also think, Siri, you know, you talked earlier on about that's okay if you're femme presenting, but if you're not femme presenting, if you're butch, um, if you are challenging gender norms in any way, I think that um, that that um, that then becomes problematic in sport. And I think the extreme example of that is the the what I consider to be absolutely appalling coverage of like Casta Semenya um, in in recent years when the BBC has covered track and field events in which she has been competing. And, um, you know, um, and I remember one BBC article being, you know, and, you know, there's this thing about Casta Semenya and then they're building this for music and then the next question from from the the voiceover is or is she a man and it's just like i find it absolutely incredible that we're allowed to get away with that (laughs) do you know what i mean it's so racist it's so misogynist um and at the same time so quintessentially british i think you know and i think that there's a, a legacy of colonialism in that as well you know and the the and the policing of black women's bodies in that but I just also think there's just this general policing of of women and women's bodies um in sport as well that we should we should really be talking about and I don't know what is that why is that is that different in Sweden is is there less policing do you think Siri probably yeah, I do think that is a thing. You know, I think there's, but there's also much more like freedom in general. So, like, there's there's much less segregation, binary segregation, if you know what I mean. So, you know, you go into a restaurant and there's toilets. There's not men's and women's at least in the majority of places that you go to. Um, and you know, the whole kind of 
relation to their own bodies and the kind of being naked around your family and friends thing and you know I don't know I don't know I think I'm probably going into a bit of a rabbit hole here but I do think that there's just like this whole kind of different relationship to a body almost um in Sweden and less of a differing from each other differing yourselves from each other I do think that we still experience um, a real legacy in this country, a real kind of Victorian legacy around what's proper and what's not proper, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. And I think that, you know, that that kind of binarism is so quintessentially Victorian and we've never really shaken that off and that it's really, really magnified um, in sports environments um, in the UK, definitely. But like you said, we're probably going down a rabbit hole here, Siri, so perhaps we should stop now. Well, that's that's kind of our key questions. I guess um, it's now really lucky to is there anything else on this topic that you feel hasn't been covered or is important that you'd like to kind of say any kind of final comments you don't have to i think there's been kind of a a really interesting discussion so far but just wanted to make sure that you've kind of said everything you want to say really so if you want any more information you can find us at www.footballvsthomophobia.com we're also on twitter um at FBH tweets. We're on Facebook, and you can just search football versus homophobia, and you'll find us. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also on Instagram at football underscore v underscore homophobia. So yeah, I'm sure you'll be able to find us there. Thanks for listening, and see you next month. Bye. Bye. Bye.